Well, good morning to you. I hope you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning. You will need it. And uh, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. And as you are, excuse me, as you're finding your place in Deuteronomy, I want to thank you for allowing us to be here. I have been excited of this day since Isaac asked me about it. I have no better friend on this planet than your pastor. Um, I love him dearly. Uh, Not just Isaac, but his entire family, his wife and his children. Um, And my wife and and my children, along with me, look at them more as an extension of our family than we do as friends. So we are thankful uh, to the Lord for them. I'm also thankful to the Lord that in his kind providence, he has led them here with you. Um, We miss them very much in Danville. But it makes it a little bit easier knowing that they are with people who are sweet to them, who are good to them, and are serving alongside their families. So I am thankful to the Lord that, uh, that he has set things up the way that he has. So um, also, before we get going, I do also want to add my uh, welcome to the mothers who are here. If you are a mother or if the Lord has placed a desire in your heart to be a mother, happy Mother's Day to you. Um, If you have found your place in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 4 and read down through verse number 9. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you, Today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, we thank you for our opportunity to be together. We thank you for your word that we have just read a portion of. Lord, we understand that if we were to finish right now, we could say we have heard from you because we have read from your word. Lord, we ask now that you would bless our time together as we walk through these verses, that we would understand what you would have us understand from this passage And having understood it, we would be obedient to it. And having been obedient, we would look more like your son in our lives. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, you have no doubt noticed that we are in the Old Testament this morning. Uh, The Old Testament, to some, is a little bit uh, of of, of a worrisome thing. It has a a reputation of being difficult to understand. It has a reputation among some of not having anything to do with us today. That we can just forget about that first two-thirds of our Bible and, and, and move along with that. Because of its perceived difficulty, there are a couple of ways that we approach it that are different than the New Testament. Um, some are right, some are wrong, but, but there are a couple of ways that we approach the Old Testament and we, we wonder, do, is it worth studying? Is it worth 
our time, does this apply to us at all today? And the first way that you may have encountered the Old Testament is uh, not too long ago was New Year's Eve, New Year's. We maybe made a resolution. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. It's a fine goal. It's a fine thing to do. It is a, a worthy thing to do. And the Bible being a book, we begin, as with any book, at the beginning. We read through Genesis. And that's comfortable to us, okay? We see creation. We see the fall of Adam and Eve. We see Noah and the ark. Hey, we know that story. We're good there. We meet Abraham. We meet Isaac. We meet Jacob. We end up in Egypt. And we think, okay, we're, we're, we're moving right along. Then we get to Exodus. We meet Moses, who we're going to talk about quite a bit today. And we meet Pharaoh, and we see the interaction between them and the institution of the Passover when Israel is finally allowed to leave Egypt. We see them crossing the Red Sea. Those are all familiar stories to us. We see the Ten Commandments in Exodus. We're trucking right along. We're two books down, and we are rolling. And then we get to Leviticus. And we say, what? What is, what? There's some weird things in Leviticus. There's some things that make you step back and say, I think I'm going to start in Matthew. That's where I'm more comfortable. I'm going to jump forward and I'm going to move that way. Or, or another way that we look at the Old Testament is, is almost as if it's a, 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 a hero study. We look for good guys, and we look for bad guys, and we want to be like the good guys and be opposite of the bad guys. That's how we want to do it. Or we, we look at it as a characteristic study. You take David and Goliath. That's a story that, that most of us are probably familiar with, and we say, I want to be like David. You may have even heard a, a preacher stand up and say, be brave like David. Or if he wants to be even more spiritual, he'll say, trust in the Lord like David, and he'll take care of the giants that are in your life. You may have heard that. And the point of all that is be better and you will find God's favor. There's a problem with studying scripture that way, any scripture, Old Testament or new. And the problem with that is that's not the gospel. The gospel doesn't say be better and you'll be blessed. The gospel says there are none of us who are good. There are none of us who can get better on our own. The Bible says that we are by our very nature sinners. And that just as soon as we're old enough to make a choice, by our choice we are sinners. We decide to do it too. And that sin separates us from a God who we read is holy and just. And who will not allow sin. So we have a problem. Not only does that separate us from God, that also places us under his righteous wrath and judgment. We have a big problem. But our just God that we read about has provided us with a justifier in the person and work of his son. And those who, in faith, believe that he is who he says he is, namely Savior and Lord, and repent of sin, will be saved. We will have the opportunity to receive Christ's righteousness in place of our sin and guilt. So if those are ways that we don't look at the, the Old Testament, how do we study the, new, the, the Old Testament? Well... One thing that we have to remember as we read through the Old Testament is it's just that, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. There is a new covenant instituted in Christ. 
So as we read the Old Testament, we always read it through the lens of the New Testament. There are types and there are shadows and there are things that point forward to something that is to come in the Old Testament, fully revealed in the New. So when we study the Old, we have to do it with our understanding of the rest of the story. Our understanding of what Christ has come to do, what he has done, and what he has promised us to do. So as an example, we'll think forward to the New Testament and we'll see how Christ and and the early church looked at the Old Testament and how they studied it. If you can remember in uh, Luke chapter 24, the, the passage you may be familiar with, the road to Emmaus. Christ has been resurrected. Two of his disciples are walking along the road, talking about the things that have just happened. Christ comes up and for some reason they do not recognize him. And he asks a question, what are you talking about? And they are amazed. Are you the only guy in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's been going on? And then as they walk and talk, Luke tells us that beginning with Moses and the prophets, he, being Christ, interpreted the scriptures, all things concerning himself. So Christ points out the things. When Moses was talking about a prophet that is to come, that's fulfilled in me. When Isaiah talks about a suffering servant, that is fulfilled in me. When Daniel says the Son of Man is with the Ancient of Days, that is Christ. And he explains all of that to his disciples. And then magically, not magically, they understand who he is. They recognize him. One thing I do also want, if you keep your finger there in Deuteronomy, we will be right back, I promise. Flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is Paul writing to his son in the ministry. And... He is giving him instruction on how to minister and how to minister well. And this passage in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, he also gives us some clues as to how we are to look into the Old Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 say this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Verse 15, And how from childhood you have been acquainted acquainted with the sacred writings. Some of your versions may say holy scriptures. That you have been acquainted with the holy scriptures, which are what? When Paul is writing this, the holy scriptures are the Old Testament. What are the sacred writings able to do? They are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Genesis is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Esther, Nehemiah, Job, Psalm, Proverb, all of it is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul himself believed that. Paul's M.O. was he would show up into town, go to synagogue, preach Christ from the Old Testament, get beat up, get thrown out of town, move to the next one and do it all over again. That's how he, that's how he operated So he believed what he was telling Timothy. So now that we are, uh, we see how the New Testament looks at this, one thing we can put together is this book, all of it, has one theme. It has one purpose. And that one theme and that one purpose is a person. And that person is Christ. God has promised that before the foundation of the world, he had a plan to redeem for himself a people. And he does that through the work and the person of his son. So now that we are oriented correctly and we uh, understand that yes, we can study the Old Testament these days, let's narrow down our context a little bit more. We're going to be talking in terms of law and of covenant today as Moses is speaking to the children of Israel. 
So let's set the stage for where we are and how Moses and these people got to the point that they are in the in our text today. So you may be aware Deuteronomy is the fifth and final book of the Torah, the book of the law, all five authored by Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We are familiar with most of them. Again, Leviticus is uh, kind of an oddball, but um, Genesis at the beginning, as far as law and covenant goes, we are introduced to Abraham. We're introduced to the fact that God chose Abraham and has made a covenant with Abraham. And that covenant has three promises. Those three promises have two parts that are physical, one part that is spiritual. The two physical promises that God made Abraham are, you will have descendants like the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. Now to Abraham, that was a big deal because he didn't have any kids. To have descendants, plural, you had to at least start with one. And that wasn't happening yet. So his promise was that he would have descendants. His promise was that he would have a land. He would be given a land. And then the spiritual piece of the promise was, through your descendants, Abraham, all nations of the earth will be blessed. We know that to be Christ and what he has done. So we see that in Genesis. Then we move on to Exodus, and we see Israel's transition from this people group, this large group of people who went to Egypt, and they're transformed into a nation. They're getting bigger. Their descendants are getting like the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky, just as the Lord promised Abraham that it would. And this nation is the one whom the Lord has given his law through Moses. And for this law, they are to be obedient. That is God's commandment. I have redeemed you out of Egypt. Here is my law. Be obedient to it. Then we get to Leviticus, the book that made us cry and scream and run to Matthew as, our, as we work through the Old Testament. And that book describes to us how this nation, this new nation, would be able to approach God, would be able to worship God, would be able to have relationship with God, would be able to have right relationships with one another. It, it, it spells out all of these details of how to live before a holy God. That's, the, that's what Leviticus does. Then we get to Numbers, and it's named so because of the census at the beginning and the end of the book. But Israel begins its journey to this land that was promised to the father Abraham. And as they are wandering through the desert, rebellion and disobedience brings judgment. And their trip that was to take 11 days took them 40 years. God is serious about sin and serious about obedience. Then we find our way to Deuteronomy, our book and our, our place this morning. And Deuteronomy finds God's children camped on the other side of the Jordan. They are ready to possess the land that God has promised them. They are ready to begin the task of removing the Canaanites that are already in there. And they learn something that is shocking to them. Moses will not be joining you. Your leader is not going with you to the land of promise. He'll be able to see it, but you will look to a new leader. You'll look, look to someone of the next generation who will lead you into the promised land. So to face what is ahead, to face the challenges that they will no doubt encounter, and we can read through the, the, the details of that as you continue through the Old Testament, Israel must be reminded of who they are, their God-given identity. So that's what Deuteronomy does that's what Moses does in Deuteronomy now some people explain this book as one of a second law something that is added to or added on top of 
the law that Moses has already given. And that's not the best way to understand that. A more accurate way to see this is a second giving of the law. This is a new generation. Moses is reiterating the covenant first began with Abraham, continued through Moses, enacted at Sinai. He's reminding them of who they are and whose they are as they begin to take this land that has been promised them. So with that, with our context set and our background laid, let's look back at our text for this morning, Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse number 4. Hear, O Israel. Well, right away we see who Moses is speaking to. This should not surprise us. We, Knowing our context, knowing who we are dealing with, we understand that Israel is the nation that Moses is leading through the wilderness that is getting ready to possess this land. It makes sense. This is God's covenant people. This is who Moses is speaking to. And he begins this this section of the passage with a command. What is the command? Hear. Hear, O Israel. Now to an Israelite here listening to this or reading this later, there would have been something automatically assumed. Now when Moses and, and the Old Testament writers refer to someone as hearing something or command someone to hear this, hear, O Israel. There is, there is a, an implied part of obedience to that. It's not just physically sound waves going in your ear, rattling around the stuff that's in your head, sending it to your brain so you understand what is said. That's not what they mean. If you hear God and do not obey God, it's the same as not hearing him. They would have understood this. And, and at first when we think through that, we think, well, that's kind of a, an odd way of looking at things. That's kind of a strange thing, but it's really not if you step back and think about it. Think back to a time when you were 10, 11, 12 years old and you were engrossed in something. Television show. Playing with your dog. Whatever. And your mother or father from the kitchen gives you a chore. Hey, Mark, take out the garbage. Okay. Okay. And I continue watching whatever amazing television show is on. Well, it's only a few minutes when my mother or father recognized there was no stirring in my soul towards obedience and that the trash is still sitting where it was. And what's the question that they ask? Did you hear me? Well, so we understand exactly what the Israelites would have thought. There was no obedience, so evidently you didn't hear me. You could be the smart aleck and say, yeah, I heard you. That would not end well, usually. So we see here and we understand what this means. There is an expectation of obedience to what Moses is getting ready to tell the children of Israel. And as we continue on in the verse, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There are a few things in this second phrase that we learn about the characteristics of the the Lord that Moses has um, revealed in this or is explaining to us. And they are, one, if you look at your scripture you'll see the word Lord most likely is capitalized. Don't believe me. Look down. Everybody look, at, look and see. I want you, to, I want you to trust this book, not this person speaking. This book is what has the authority. The Lord, our God. Do you see that? The Lord is capitalized. That gives us a hint. This is God's covenant name. When Moses was told to go to Pharaoh, and he said, he's not going to listen to me. Who am I going to say sent me? What did God tell him? I am that I am. Yahweh 
is who is sending you. That is what God is saying here. This is who Moses is telling us who this is. The Lord is Yahweh, the faithful covenant-making, covenant-keeping God of Israel. That is who is the Lord. He continues on. He is our God. Moses speaking to Israel. God has chosen to set his love on this people, on this nation. Has chosen to use them to bring into the world the Messiah. And Moses is reminding him, this Lord, Yahweh, who has made a covenant, is our God. He is in a covenant relationship with us. And then he is one, or, or some versions may say, he is God alone, or he is the Lord alone. He is Yahweh alone. God and God alone is to be Israel's object of affection, of uh, their loyalty, of their obedience. So in verse 4, we see not only the uniqueness, but also the unity of God. And now Moses is not teaching us here of the Trinity. That doctrine... Um, Although it's true, that's not the context here. But there is nothing in this passage that stands in opposition to that. I understand that you are working through the book of John on Sunday mornings with Isaac. And if you have not seen it yet, you will see it. And when you do, it will be repetitive over and over and over again, depending on how far you are in the book. There will be often times when Christ is asked, what are you talking about? What are you doing? And his answer, more times than not, is I'm doing the will of my Father. I'm here to glorify my Father. I'm here to honor my Father. I'm about my Father's business. The Father and I are one. So while he's not talking about Trinity, we see it. We see shadows. We see pictures. We see pointing forward to that truth. And think, too, of who... He's speaking to Israel while this group is this particular group is not the one uh, most of them who saw firsthand the plagues that ultimately allowed their freedom from Egypt. Their parents and grandparents would have no doubt spoken of it. So these plagues that Yahweh just speaks and happen, the gods of Egypt are powerless to do anything against it. Now we understand that's because they're imaginary. They're made of wood or stone, and about the most power they have is you could stump your toe if you walked a little too close to them. That's just about all they can do to you. But think of what this said to Egypt and to Israel. Our God is powerful. When he speaks, there is none who can contradict him. When he makes a promise, there is none who can break the promise. And when he pronounces judgment, there's none who can provide escape from that judgment. So we see the truth of his uniqueness and his unity, and and we see as we continue on in verse 5 that that has a practical significance, and that is that Israel respond in obedience. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Shall is not something where you can take it or leave it. You shall. It is imperative. You will do this. You are going to do this. You shall love the Lord your God. Remember, this is a covenant, and so it's accurate to look at this in terms of a legal obligation. Obedience brings blessings. Disobedience brings cursing. God has called and redeemed Israel out of bondage and requires of them obedience. He goes on to explain a little bit more what that looks like. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Now, when we think of our heart, we think of follow your heart. This feeling that we get, this, if, it, if it makes you happy, 
then that's probably the right thing to do. If, if it's something that feels good, do that. That is the message today. Now, Israel, again, just as here doesn't mean just physically here, heart doesn't mean just how you feel. There's an intellectual component to this. The, the heart to an Israelite was the seat of not only emotion but of intellect. So what you felt, what you did, how you moved forward was informed by what you understood. So when he explains this, you shall understand this. This shall be, you shall love the Lord your God with all your brain and with all of your heart. That's what he's telling them. And then he continues on with all your soul. The, the inner being, this hard thing that is to describe, what is this? Including the will of the person. And then the might is certainly the, the physical piece. Now, Moses is not just listing out some personality qualifications. He's not just saying, well, here's a few ways you should love the Lord your God. No, you think about this. He is explaining this should invade your entire life. Your thoughts, your emotions, your will, and the physical things that you do should be informed by the truth that you know in God's word. This, again, is not an uncommon um, theme as we move into the New Testament. Christ himself teaches this. And I want you to flip with me again to another passage, this time in the book of Mark, chapter 12. Christ has been confronted again by the Sadducees. They're asking him about the resurrection. They, uh, like most other things he tells them, don't like his answer. And it begins an argument. So, verse 28 of Mark, chapter 12, we pick up the narrative. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked them, which commandment is the most important of all? Verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Does this sound familiar to anyone? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So if you're uh, paying close attention, you'll notice Mark included something that Moses did not. Did you, see, did you catch it? He says, mind. Now, that in no way diminishes the, the quote. In fact, if you think of it in the way that we just described it, Mark is providing context to a Greek-speaking audience. Heart and mind. In Old Testament, understanding that would have fit together. Mark is just laying it out, giving them a little bit more detail. But what, what do we get from both of those things? Well, we get from Moses that this is to invade all of your life. All of your being is to be wrapped up in this truth of who God is and what he has done. Christ says the same thing. This should be your whole life. This is the greatest commandment. Christ himself said that to the Jewish authority. And if you, if you want to, an easy way to think about this is like this. We have the law, and that's a big, huge body of regulation and legislation and, and rules and, and all these things. And if you distill that down, almost like an executive summary, you get the Ten Commandments. You can go through the Ten Commandments and see the pieces of the law, how that fits together. And if you distill those Ten Commandments down, you get our text today. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. To build on that, Moses practically goes on to explain what this looks like in verse 6. 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now these words, he's talking law, he's talking covenant. Chapter 5, he just reiterated the Ten Commandments. So he is going through this law, through this covenant, with a new generation and is explaining to them what is expected of them. These words refer to that, and it says they shall be on your heart. Remember, the heart is the seat of intellect and emotion. They are to meditate on these truths. They are to ponder them. They are to respond in obedience based on their understanding of what's in God's word. Not legalistically as the, pharaohs do, the Pharisees do in, in uh, the New Testament, but out of love, out of an understanding. Not to gain God's favor, but because you have God's favor. The language in this also points us forward to another passage in the Old Testament that we will not turn to, but he says, these words I command you today shall be on your heart. It reminds us of a passage in Jeremiah where he is speaking of a new covenant, a covenant that is coming, that is promised, where no longer will the law be written on tablets of stone, it will be written on the heart, the heart of Stone will be replaced with a heart of flesh. Deuteronomy is looking forward to that new covenant. So then Moses goes along, and I know we're running short on time, so I'm going to talk fast. If you'll listen fast, we might finish somewhat at the same time. Um, Having understood this covenant, having understood this law, Moses explains you have a responsibility. Not only to yourself, but to your children and your grandchildren, the next generation. Verse Number seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now, diligently, we know what that means. That is this indication of, of purposeful, of um, intentional, of repetitive, almost a structured time when you sit them down to teach them. Now, when they're really small, that's hard. There are, that is, you have to be diligent to be able to do it. As they get up, it gets a little easier. Today is Mother's Day. Now, this would have been understood as a requirement and a responsibility of the father, but how many people in here are thankful for a mother who was diligent in teaching you the scriptures, teaching you the truth of God's word, especially when they're this size? Definitely is the case. So there is this this idea of instilling this truth diligently and, and purposefully. But then he continues on. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Not only is it to be purposeful and diligent and intentional, it's to be an everyday conversation. So much should this be in our heart and in our mind and in our life that it spills out on the ride to soccer practice watching an older brother's baseball game, sitting on the beach with your son trying to catch a fish out of the ocean. It should be so much on our lips that it comes out. We have opportunity after opportunity to teach our children and our grandchildren this, and we should take it. It should be right there ready to bubble over at any moment. As we go about our everyday everyday activities, these truths are so important and evident they should be at the very center of our lives so he continues on verse 8 you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes so the context here of them bind them what's them again that's the words that he has been commanding them the law and the covenant and the promises and the expectations of 
God's people. You shall bind them on your hand. It should, it should inform your action. What you put your hand to do, work or play or whatever, it should be informing that. And it shall be as frontlets between your eyes. What you think, your attitudes, how you respond to things, God's Word should inform that. It should be so much in us, heart, soul, and might, that it informs everything that we do. Now, Moses here is speaking metaphorically. The Jews have taken this quite literally. Understand there is a trip to Israel coming soon. Isn't that right? Some folks here will be headed that way. I would love to go on that trip. That is, uh, is on my list of things I'd like to do. But when you are there, you will see their literal interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 6. I have no doubt you will run into this. You may even run into it on the plane if you're flying at the right time. And somebody may try to get in your lap so they can open your window and see out to begin their prayers. But there are, there's a small wooden box that they'll place on their hand and it's got a leather strap. And they wrap it around so that it's bound to their hand. And in that box is a piece of parchment that has Scripture written on it. This passage is one of those pieces of Scripture. Same thing with the frontlets between their eyes. It's a wooden box that goes right in between your eyes and wraps around and is bound to your head, to your forehead, so that what you see, what you think, all of it is filtered through that. So this is, this is a literal interpretation of something Moses probably didn't mean literally, but... If you see guys walking around over there with boxes on their hand and on their head, you'll know what they're, what they're about. They've read Deuteronomy chapter 6. Continuing on, our last verse of the morning. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. When you walk into your house and when you leave your house, you have to pass the doorpost. When you enter, what you bring in, with you has to pass the doorpost. When you leave, what you go out to do, you have to pass the doorpost. Again, this talking metaphorically, but they have taken this again quite literally and have fashioned mezuzahs, which are small cylinders with rolled up parchment, again with scripture on it, that they will nail up at the door of their home. Some go as so, so far as to put them at every door of their home. Walk in the bathroom, walk in the bedroom, you walk past the mezuzah. And then what? Not only should you write it on your doorpost, you should write it on your gates. The city gates, again, this is a piece of context that we don't quite follow because things are so different now. But the city gates, when he was explaining this and writing this and teaching this as a sermon to the children of Israel who were getting ready to go possess the land, they would have immediately understood the city gate is where all the action is. Business is conducted there. Um, commerce is conducted there. Meetings are held there. It is a very, very, very visible, visible place. You cannot miss it. So what is Moses saying in these verses? God's word is to be preeminent in our lives. Personally, it is to be preeminent. Heart, soul, and might. In our families, it is to be preeminent. You shall teach them to your children diligently. And then collectively, it should be preeminent as we leave our homes and go to where we work, where we worship, those things. This is what obedience looks like. So that's all well and good. That's nice. We've read some Old Testament. We've read a passage where Moses addresses Israel. So what? We're not Jews. 
I don't think any of us are. Maybe some, but we're not under the old covenant. We just talked about the new covenant. This isn't 3,500 years ago. Why do we care? What does this have to do with us today? Well, remember where we started. What are the Holy Scriptures able to do? Make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. One more passage I will ask you to turn to, and then I promise that'll be it. We'll turn to the book of Galatians. Again, Paul is writing Galatians chapter 3. We're going to read verse 23 to the end, and I want you to... uh, I want you to to pick up on a couple of things in this as we go through it. Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, Galatians 3, verse 23 is where we will begin and go to the end. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to a promise. Now there's a ton of information in those verses, but I wanted to get the surrounding verses to get our context for this last piece. And then we'll try, to, we'll try to land this thing and go eat lunch. Um, what does Paul tell us in here? That before the new covenant was instituted, the law was our guardian. I'm reading ESV. It says guardian. Yours may say schoolmaster. Yours may say teacher. May say trainer. What does that mean? What's the, what's the point of that? Well, remember in Deuteronomy what we're, what we're studying, what we're reading. Part of what Moses is telling is you shall teach these things, these words, these promises, these covenants, these laws to your children. God has set a righteous standard. He has chosen to reveal that to us in his law. As you teach these things to your children, as I teach these things to my children, as we teach these things in Awana or in VBS that's coming up or whatever. The question is going to come up. Who can satisfy this? Who can meet this standard? Who can live up to the letter of the law? And the the answer is no one. We can't. Because just as soon as we're able to make a decision, we make the wrong one. And we're condemned. We're under God's righteous judgment. So the law and the understanding of it points Israel to the fact that they need somebody to do it for them. And it should point us to the same thing. The law points us to Christ. Here is God's righteous standard. You don't have a chance. But... God who is rich in mercy. Sent his son who was able. Sent his son who not only lived up to the letter of the law, but fulfilled every part of it. 
fulfilled every prophecy about his coming, about his life, and about his death, and then willingly laid his life down as a sacrifice for you and for me because we had no hope without that. He comes. He satisfies God's righteous standard. Willingly becomes the sacrifice in our place and willingly takes God's full wrath on our part so that we can trade our sin for his righteousness. Moses is clear in Deuteronomy. Obedience is not an option. The gospel message is clear too. It requires a response. No one can be neutral. It is either respond in faith that Christ is who he says he is or to reject that truth. There is no middle. There is no other option. As we study this book, all of it, the thing to remember, God has a plan to redeem for himself a people. We see that at the beginning, even as early as Genesis 3, where the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. God has a plan to redeem a people for himself. The way he chooses to do that is through his son. What he has done, how he has lived, and what he has sacrificed. And the fact that he has been raised from the dead provides us with an opportunity to have everlasting life. The plan is fully revealed in Christ. Pray with me, please. Father, Again, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. We ask that through your spirit we would be able to understand the things that we have read today, that we would be obedient to the things we have read today, and that the words of your book would be bound to our heart. And Lord, we ask that you would give us the ability to access the things that are bound in there from your word, both for our joy and for our witness. Lord, we thank you for our time. And Lord, for anyone who is here today who needs to hear the promise of the gospel, the offer of forgiveness and salvation through faith and repentance, Lord, I pray that you would not give them a moment's rest until they get that settled. Lord, the pastors who are here today no doubt would love to speak to them. I pray that you would move in their heart and that you would just not give them any rest until they have those conversations and that someone with an open Bible can point them to the truth of your word and to your gospel. Lord, again, we thank you for our time. Help us to move forward with a trained mind and a humble heart as we go our separate ways. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's pray, please. Lord, thank you for the privilege of worshiping together today as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are so grateful for the opportunity to gather and sing songs of praise and adoration to you, to give our offerings, to pray, to enjoy fellowship, and to study your precious and holy word. You are the only one worthy of all glory, honor, and praise, Father. And we desire to exalt the name of Jesus Christ today and every day. 
Lord, today we recognize our mothers, the women who have spent so much time, energy, and devotion pouring themselves into the lives of their children. Thank you for their godly influence, instruction, support, and love. We pray that today will be a special day for each and every mother. Father, we pray for our Mission of the Week crew, and particularly for Ashley and Heather Holloman, who are reaching out to and ministering to graduate students at Penn State University. We ask that you continue to show your favor on Ashley and Heather, and we pray that many young men and women there in State College would trust Christ and follow him. We also want to pray for the group traveling to the Holy Land this week. Give them a safe journey and also help them to revel in the experience of walking where Jesus walked. Through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, enable us to seek you through your word each day. Help us to walk faithfully after Christ, to love each other as you have loved us, and to be quick to tell others the good news of salvation. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.